episode 99 welcome back hey welcome back one more to go before we retire forever <laughs> we stopping at 100 i'm just kidding just getting warmed up i can stop at 100 oh yeah you good i think we call it a success we, we've covered every topic there is uh, yes <laughs> you know boxers they like never retire at the right time i'm trying to think <laughs> of a really boxer good. that retired correctly i can't think of one that's a good question. Maybe Pacquiao? He's retired now. He's out. It, I, but I could be wrong about that. Yeah, I think you drop enough money on him, he'll come back. What about Felix Trinidad, maybe? I'm not familiar with that fighter. No. Huh. But that's a good question. They all come back at some point for money. That Tyson thing was embarrassing, but that's another story. Yeah. Yeah, that is. Um, so, all right. Where do you want to start, Stomp? Oh my goodness, what do we have to do? You you were out hiking and you met some listeners? Okay, yeah, yeah. I did meet, um, so we'll talk about this later. I did Mount Washington. I think I touched on this a little bit in Stasha's episode, but not really huh. a lot of detail. But yeah, I met, um, let me see, I got my list here. I wrote it down. So I met George and Chris at Lake of the Clouds Hut. So shout out to them. Mm-hmm. George was, so George and Chris had gotten engaged on Musalaki, I think, earlier in the year, and somehow we got a hold of that and gave them a shout out during the episode. Yeah. Or or in episode. Mm -hmm. So we were at the hut, and um, yeah, we ended up, I think I dropped that, I dropped the podcast because Phoebe from Redline was there, and I was like, oh, we just gave Redline a shout out, and that's when it clicked for George and Chris, and then- you know, we were chatting and then later on in the day, I met a crew of guys and we were coming down the Cog Railroad, oh, the Cog tracks and a guy just gave a shout out and he asked me if I was Mike and I said, yeah, Mike, how you doing? And he said he was a listener. Matter of fact, he said he bought a an inReach because of us, which was pretty cool. And then he had his crew of friends that were like the Westfield State guys. So uh, shout out to uh, to Joe. I think his name was in the Westfield State guys. Cool. That's awesome. It's always fun bumping into people that listen. Yes. It's yeah. really cool. I, I met a couple as well, but I'll talk about it a little later. Um, how about the old show intro before we forget? 
Yeah, yeah, let me do the show intro right now. So welcome to episode 99 of the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast. This week, we continue to revisit some early episodes to clean up topics that we felt needed updating. So this week, we're going to go back to episode six and do a redo on what we called Epic Traverses in the White Mountains. So we'll talk about a bunch of different uh, trips that you can take, um, mostly point-to-point trips, so you need a car spot, but some loops in addition to the Epic Traverses, we have uh, listener shout-outs and some updates on past stories. Stomp's going to give some info on the traffic over on our Instagram page, and we're going to see if you're not following us, we want you to follow us. I'm going to explain why New Hampshire has the best highway rest stops on the entire East Coast. <laughs> we're going to talk about wild animals in New Hampshire and they're starting to wake up. We're going to talk about chat GPT. We talk about some recent hikes on Mount Washington, Franconia Ridge, the Scour, and Big Pines, and along with the Grand Traverse. So all this, plus people getting in deep trouble out west due to flooding, and an avalanche on Mount Washington we'll cover. So I'm Mike. And I'm Stomp. Let's get started. Excellent. Excellent. Um, all right. So a couple of more housekeeping things here, Stomp. So I want to give a shout out to... Listener Anthony, so um, mm-hmm. his dad Justin's a, a listener, um, good friend of the show, and Anthony for his science project had done a hiking-based um, science project where he did data analysis on which type of sock is the warmest for winter hiking. Oh, so I thought that was pretty cool, right? That's super cool. Yeah, weren't we tagged on that somewhere on social yes. media? That's awfully nice. But really cool. So, what, what were the yeah. results? Do we know? I didn't dig into the results that much. I gotta, we gotta send an email, and maybe Anthony, if you want to follow up and give us a summary, that'd be great. But mm. um, I just saw the the presentation looked fantastic. Yeah, I'm sure it was uh, received well too by his peers. Super, uh, super impressive, and it got me sort of thinking. Stomp. I went to good old chat GPT. And I was like, Oh, give me some ideas for hiking based science projects. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Did it get weird on you cool. or did it give you some good information? No, it gave some interesting <laughs> stuff. So it was like, you can do an experiment on the effect of altitude on plant growth. So like hike to different elevations yeah. and observe how vegetation changes, collect data on different types of plants um, and then there's one about impact of climate change on mountain ecosystems, yeah. basically collecting data on temperatures, precipitation and changes in plant and animal populations. That's cool. Soil competitions, uh, composition. So all kinds of cool stuff. Yeah, that's neat. It can be useful. Although I think... It certainly can. I think uh, the old chat is getting bored of its predicament at the moment. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 we'll get into that. But I find that it's really good about like generating ideas and lists and things like that. Yeah. And also for dad jokes. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, one other update that I hear, I have multiple updates here. So the next update I have is an update on Jeff Johnson. So this is the gentleman that we covered in like an episode, maybe like eight or nine episodes back. The gentleman from Arkansas that got in trouble for basically hosting meetup groups where he was charging people. And he got he got charged. I guess he got convicted for running an an, an illegal guide service or basically running a business on national forest land illegally. Mm-hmm. So he ended up getting sentenced. So 
His sentence is a two-year ban from hiking in the Buffalo um, National River. And then in addition, which I think is going to be, that's probably going to hurt him the most because it seems like the guy goes out there every week. Mm-hmm. And then he got $700 in fines and then $2,700 in restitution, which will be used to cover the cost of the rescue. Um, and hmm. there's no word whether or not there's a civil case going on. I don't know if that's that's going to be the next shooter drop for this guy. Could yeah, could very well be. Yeah. So yeah. most of the charges stem from his uh, committing or or performing commerce on forest land or U.S. forest land, if I remember correctly. Correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that the you know the news headlines had sort of said that he was running an illegal guide service, but I think that's a bit of a, I think the technical term is pretty much what you just said. And they, they didn't charge him for any sort of negligence or anything to do with the death of the other hiker. But and we talked about this a lot. And mm. I think that there's a, you know, there's a legal obligation and then a moral obligation. And I think he's, you know, he didn't have any legal obligations, but I do think that there was a moral obligation there that, that he probably didn't follow through in the way that he should have. Mm. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Yes, and the next up stomp. Remember, we remember I was I had a bit of a fixation over the summer about like cheating scandals. There was like a Miss Miss USA cheating scandal, yeah. and then there was some other. Um, so what the biggest one was this fishing tournament cheaters, and they had been putting weights inside mm-hmm. the fish, right. and they ended up getting um, they they pled guilty today. So. I guess this happened in September. I remember they were so, berated by the people. Like oh, they they were caught on the scene. It was just crazy. Yeah, yeah. So they're um they, they already had to give up like a hundred thousand dollar boat. They already had to give up like twenty eight thousand dollars in prize money mm-hmm. and they're gonna be sentenced on May eleventh. So I'm guessing they're gonna do some jail time. Yeah. Wow. Can't mess around with that stuff. There was also the uh, the the chess cheaters. All kinds of cheaters going on. Amazing. Yeah, that's right. There was the chess cheater. There was um, there was a whole bunch of them. So <laughs> it's been kind of quiet on the cheating news, but I'll keep an eye on it. I'm sure okay. it'll pop back up again. Um, okay, next up, I have an update on the thru-hiker drama. Remember, remember I talked about how there was a few people that had been very vocal on social media in the Appalachian Trail 2023 class group? Yeah, right. Um, so one, a couple of guys were very vocal about how they're going to crush it on the trail or whatever, and they end up hiking like 30 miles, and then they're done. Mm-hmm. So this one person was very loud about like, you know, I have all my gear, and it's, it's you know, it's going to be easy for me to do this hike. And then he ended up tapping out about 30 miles in, and he keeps saying that, oh, okay, he's going to be coming back. He's going to be coming back. So these people on the – somebody did some digging and found out that the guy's a registered sex offender. Oh, geez. So now they're like, oh, look out for this guy. He's a little bit off. So mm-hmm. uh, more drama there. <laughs> and then Oops. this week, there was a little bit of additional drama that it's not so much drama, but I have a rant stomp. So I see this happen a lot where people want to hike the Appalachian Trail and they think that they can just stay on trail the whole time or they don't have enough money to hike the trail. So... They come on and they're like, can somebody tell me about like what the options are for foraging food or hunting on the trail or fishing on the trail? Yeah. And if you're a listener and you're, you're, you're thinking about doing the Appalachian Trail and you have any thoughts around like, I'm going to forage my way up the trail, 
or I'm going to hunt my way up the trail. Like it's not going to happen. So you're going to get, you're going to get off trail every four to five days and go shopping. That's, that's how it works. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That's the best way to do it. The safest way to do it. Yes. Yeah, it is. Especially when you get to Um, the urban areas. Ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, and the thing about foraging too, and I never thought about this, but like people were talking about, they're like, animals rely on the stuff that you're foraging for their, their, you know, for their existence. So if you go and forage berries off a tree, you know, you, or a bush, you take all those berries away. Like that's food that a deer or a beer or some other animal, you know, is not going to have. Right. Not only that, but you'd, um, you'd need a permit to hunt. That'd be complicated going state to state. Yeah. You'd have to secure permits and everything else. Yeah, fishing license oh, yeah. as well for every state. That'd be quite a logistical uh, thing to plan. Yeah. Yep. Um, all right, so next here, Stomp, I wanted to throw out some teasers for upcoming episodes. So right. we've done a couple of segments. They're in the can. So one of which is a segment I talked to my daughter Caroline about hiking in Hawaii. So we'll drop it, we'll drop that into a future episode. And then I also got a chance to sit down with Mike Maisel and uh, his friend Tom, who had recently completed the single season Winter 48. So had a had about an hour conversation with them. So that'll drop probably in the next couple episodes. Hmm. That's awesome. Yeah, I can't wait. It's going to be nice getting back to the routine of uh, guests and uh, different topics. I know it's been fun sort of reviewing the first several topics that we covered when we first started, but uh, looking forward to getting back to the other format. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll be doing that for sure. I just I did a couple of segments on my own just to give Stomp a little bit of a break because he worked so hard on the Golden Gators Award. <laughs> I'm still recovering. <laughs> Seriously, that was fun. Um, all right, Stomp. So now this is this topic is going to get a little uncomfortable, but um, <laughs> I don't generally. I mean, for the listeners, like generally, I don't usually get into any sort of arguments or confrontations with Stomp. It's very collaborative. And very cordial, you know, back and forth, like very rarely, like occasionally I'll sense that he gets mad about something or frustrated and I can kind of like, I can sort of jump on it and say, you know, uh, you know, let's, let's solve this or whatever. And I think for the most part, I don't think that, um, you know, we have a bad relationship, but there's something you've been doing, Stomp, for like a long time that's been bothering me and I'm not comfortable (laughs) addressing it personally so i'd rather do it when we're recording like this just because oh, it's sure. it's just been bothering me significantly and i'm going to expose my like sort of ocd around this but okay. when we make the scripts for the shows mm-hmm. there's a thing that you do when you hyperlink a news story okay where there's a like a style guide that like most of these major newspapers use oh really that is like um when you're going to use a hyperlink so a lot of times when we're for the listeners, a lot of times when we're building the scripts, we'll put in like, you know, for example, this next, next story, or we'll just say, you know, update on fishing tournament cheaters, mm-hmm. which is a story we just did. And then we'll hike, hyperlink the news story, click into it, and then, you know, look at the article. When I create these, I use the sort of the AP style guide where I'll say update on fishing tourney cheaters mm-hmm. and I hyperlink the entire phrase so that when you click on it, it opens up. Stomp will only <laughs> hyperlink the last word in a sentence. 
Yeah, or a couple, which like is, just random yeah, shit. Which is like, why, <laughs> why do you do that? And then you know I go into the script afterwards and I like I highlight the whole phrase and oh, you hyperlink do? it. You, yeah. you, you expand the whole thing after? I've been doing it for like a year now. Oh, geez. Wow, that is OCD. But I, I'll, I'll try to do better. I didn't know that you were trying to do the whole AP style. Do you do that at work quite a bit? No, no. I just like it's easier for the show notes for me when oh, I have the yeah, whole yeah, I see and I can just cut and paste it. Oh, got it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. Yeah, you're absolutely right. <laughs> so I hadn't thought of that. Wow. Yeah. So I want you to pick up a copy of the AP Style Guide, read the hyperlink <laughs> section, and do better. So you can literally just copy the hyperlink and dump it into your show notes. As opposed to exactly. having to fish into it and then copy it and everything else. Yeah, I mean, on Google Docs, it's easier because I can just highlight the whole phrase of the sentence and just hit the hyperlink button and it'll just, it'll fill it in, but it's yeah. just, it's an annoyance. Okay, yeah, that makes complete sense. Yeah, okay. I'm game. All right, so. <laughs> Learn something Let's new pretend we never had this conversation. <laughs> I could have said, what are show notes? <laughs> Did you know what I was going to talk about I when I put that in? The- no idea. I thought it was probably in relation to my abbreviated hyperlinks, but I didn't know that it tied back to the show notes. But that's something I totally overlook. That's cool. All right, All right. that was awkward. <laughs> Next uh, story here: Balsam Ski Resort plan receives conditional approval. What's going on here? I didn't read this one. Yeah, how cool is that? So the Balsams are up in the North Country. It's a sort of a defunct um, Grand Hotel that was uh, closed down back in like 2011, if I remember correctly. So mm-hmm. the um, the county commissioners up there just um, gave the green light to an LLC called the Boss Balsams Resort Holdings, um, and I guess it's uh, the first step in developing this massive, you know, uh, ski resort slash hotel, and just tying it all together. It's supposed to be a potentially wonderful boon for the North country in terms of jobs and occupations and things like that. So, um, yeah, they're looking at like a $270 million, uh, project to renovate the area, which is really neat. Yeah. I really hope that they, um, they're able to pull this together. I know they've been like, I see advertisements a lot about like buying into, um, ownership of the balsams and things like that and but it would be so cool to get that place developed again it is so gorgeous up there it's just a shame that there's not more going on yeah. up there oh it's i mean the plants is supposed to be bigger than killington vermont um he also plans the the, the primary person that's running this is uh calling for a gondola to be built that's going to leave from the hotel to go directly up to the mountain summit and then there'll be 22 lifts and uh 1200 acres of skiable terrain. So that's pretty cool. And that's, you're saying that's bigger than Killington? Yeah, that's what they're saying. It's supposed to be the biggest ski resort in the region if it gets completed. Interesting. Wow. Hey, did you know um, Loon is expanding? I didn't know this. Do you know uh, I've heard Rumble Trails? Yeah. I, well, I know they have South Peak, but I, I heard that they're planning on building on that, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I think they're like expanding... Like if you're so if you're looking at South Peak, yep, I think that they're going to be building some trails to the right of that, which is a more sort of gradual, yeah, um, not as steep because I think South Peak is a little steeper. Yeah, but, it is. Um, yeah, I don't really know the details, but I was up there 
And uh, someone was telling me. So much development going on in Lincoln. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. I went, um, matter of fact, I went to a restaurant, the, it was really good, the Gypsy Cafe. You ever heard of it? Oh, sure. Yeah. My wife and I have gone there many times. Yeah, fantastic place. Great, great stuff. It's always packed too. So if you want to go, you have to really be prepared to wait a little bit to get in. That's what I heard. We we walked right in because we went during lunch on a Friday, but um, mm-hmm. it it was yeah, it was really good. The food was good. Yeah, great stuff. We have a little section in here. We haven't plugged our Instagram in a while, but um, we want to see if we can get everyone to follow our Instagram. So it's um, what is it at Slasher Podcast yes. on Instagram? Correct. Right. And uh, it's your go-to for all kinds of random miscellaneous stuff, but. Um, I dug up some statistics from inside there, and uh, it's pretty interesting. So on on the Instagram itself, we have uh, some curious things like top cities that this app reaches, Manchester and Boston. And remember, I mean, we have worldwide listeners, which is really interesting, but they're definitely Mm -hmm. uh, centralized in this region. So Manchester and Boston come in top, top countries, uh, USA. That's that's a no brainer, and India, second place. <laughs> interesting. Yeah, that's very interesting. I have a theory. Do I have you a theory on that? Again, so Stomp runs Instagram. I barely ever. The only time I ever touch Instagram is once in a while. Like the coffee post will like there'll be too many of them, and I'll have to mix it up with like a hiking related picture or something. But mm. my theory on India is I bet you because you know how we get hit up with like. Oh, we'll optimize your podcast, or we'll do audio editing, or we'll do. Sure. You know, there's a bunch of services that people sell the podcast. So I bet you there's a lot of companies out of India that sell services to podcasting, and maybe that's why they're hmm. interested. I'm not sure how the dynamic works, but yeah, who who knows? Could be uh, gender split. Um, men eke out women by let's see, men 54.6 to women 45.3. Pretty even split. Uh, top post, our 52 with a view episode uh, came in first, and then that was followed by Full Conditions, the event at Reckless with Ty Gagney. Um, top stories, the stories are those brief things that last for about 24 hours up top. Um, I guess one of my snowmobile pics came in big. Uh, oh, it was a big crash picture. And uh, Pondicherry, which is a nice expanse that you can achieve, you can get to on a snowmobile. So. Uh, let's see. Top Reels. And we have to thank Lynn uh, Sweezy for this. Livermore Ghost Town. Followed by a reel posted by Mike's trip to Mariah recently. Hmm. Yeah. And then we have age brackets, which is really interesting. So it's fairly even across the board. So you have 25 to 34 year olds, 30%, 35 to 44 23%, 45 to 54 year olders, 18%. And then interestingly, it drops to 12% for 18 to 24, which is that Gen Z, Mike? Is that Gen Z? I think that's Gen think Z. So, yeah. Okay. Yep. So I uh, just sort of interesting. We're not sort of reaching them as much. I wonder why. Because hmm. Im- we're old. Oh. <laughs> Or they're all watching some other platform. I mean, I know they like YouTube and they like the short, succinct reels and things like that. But uh, I just wonder why uh, we're not really hitting that age bracket. But maybe people can send us info and give us some input on that. 
Yeah, when I interviewed my daughter, I did say that. I was like, Lennon Lin and Stomp want me to hit the younger generation, and you're the only younger generation I know, so. She <laughs> better perform. But she, I asked her, too. I did ask her about, like, um, you know, how do we reach Gen Z? And I forget what she said. And she said basically more more videos. I think, yeah, I think that's accurate from what I gather. Yeah. And my research, which is not great, but I've looked at it enough to know. Hmm. I, Excellent. All right. Yeah. So. One last point on that. I, I have noticed that our uh, reach has increased since we have been doing more of the reels and stories. So uh, that's a fact for sure. So maybe there's a correlation. Okay. So f- if you're not following us on Instagram, just make sure that you're following us on at slasher podcast on Instagram. Thank mm. you. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. All right. So next up is uh, we want to give a shout out to Rebecca Schubert, who completed the winter New Hampshire 100 highest single season. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. I think she did this with somebody else. She had a partner. I forget the name. I haven't really seen much on online about it, to be honest with you. Um, but have you seen pictures of her with other folks and whatever? Yeah, yeah, she's in the in the Facebook group. There's another guy. Uh, I think he goes by the name Matt, but I have a suspicion that that may be a. I, I don't know if that's his actual name, but I think that um, two of them did the um, single season winter New Hampshire 100 highest and stuff. You know this better than I do. I don't really have an appreciation, so I'm assuming that this pretty much all the 4,000 footers are on this, and then many of the 52 with a view. Mm-hmm. What else is off of that's not on the four thousand footer list, and not on the fifty two with a view is on this hundred highest list? Hmm. Doesn't it reach into other states, or is it strictly in New Hampshire? Yeah, it's the winter New Hampshire hundred highest. I think. Boy, I don't know. That's a good question. Um, okay. Yeah, I'd have to dig into my uh, five hundred list and take a peek, but um, that's a good question. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. Though. Mm. So I'll, I can look it up later, but um, yep. it's it's impressive that they really get that done. That's a lot of hiking. <laughs> it sure is, and in, in such a short time. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Mm. Um, all right, stop. So next up here is um, a proposal for a new national park. So way up mm. in northern Maine, there's yeah. a massive section of untouched land. Looks like a lot of this is lo- sort of the logging roads around Baxter in that area. It is. It's so remote that a lot of that area, it doesn't even have town names. It's just lot numbers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the proposal is to call this the Maine Woods National Park. And um, I guess it's the, the main drive is to protect the area from development and to allow future generations to really enjoy it. So uh, that may be coming to a uh, playground near you. Um, which is cool. I, I like to see that, especially in these remote areas. Yeah, yeah. And I know that Maine already has Acadia as a national park, and then Baxter, I think, is a state park. Mm-hmm. So Correct. it looks like this would be, this new proposal would be basically ring fencing. It would it would encircle all of Baxter State Park. Right. Northern <laughs> Maine. So that'd be great. Yeah. Let's go. The only reason I don't go to Maine. There. Oh, hell yeah. It's just too far away. <laughs> we got to do it. We yeah, gotta, one we of these days. Time up at A-Ball Campground.
All right. So next story stomp here is you did this one. So we are uh, dealing with the bear infestation. So people are seeing a lot more bears in New Hampshire these days and bear hunters are having a lot more success to the point that fishing game wants to change the way they oversee the season among a set of proposed changes to hunting regulations. Um, you know, they'll have some upcoming, I guess, public hearings about it. Basically, the department wants to establish these check stations for bears for the first time. So if approved, Fishing Game Commission would require hunters to bring the bear carcass to a designated site for registration instead of waiting for a CO to come out and do it in the field. Yeah. It's the idea is to let hunters kill a second bear, actually, as opposed to just one. Pretty interesting. I had no idea. I find it fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I'm certainly not seeing that many beers out there. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very interesting story. So they're going to be speaking of beers. They're going to be waking up real soon because the snow is pretty much disappearing rapidly. Is it? It is. Well, like at the lower elevations, I'm at what, maybe 1300, 1500 feet at the base of mm-hmm. Welch Dickey for the next thousand feet. There's basically no snow on trail and around the trails. Um, what you have to get above, you have got to get up around like 25 to start really getting the deep stuff in the ice. Yeah, it's very uh-huh. interesting. Yeah, I mean, Franconia Notch is a little bit different just because like at the, that, the going up like Old Bridal in that area, that doesn't get like the sun pounding on it as much. So mm-hmm. it's holding on at like 1,900 feet. Okay. Um, it's it's pretty good. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'm sh- I think Well Sticky there certainly gets a lot more sun. It sure does. Yeah, for, absolutely. Yeah, you're right about that. So Tecumseh is on the northeast side. That was like perfect. Perfect. But today was warm, yeah, so it's gonna, it's still going quick. <laughs> All right. And then um, what is this one? You got a wolverine in New Hampshire? Yeah. is Yeah, yeah. There was a spotting of a wolverine, and I posted it because I honestly never knew that there was an animal called a wolverine. So this is a link that we'll give everybody and uh, you can take a look at this animal. But um, apparently uh, one was spotted recently. Yeah. They're like, yeah, similar to know. like a Martin, I guess. Yeah, they look like a pine Martin, but yeah. darker. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, keep an eye out for uh, a Wolverine. <laughs> and I Maybe would, Napoleon Dynamite will be hunting it. Yeah, I would assume you wouldn't want to go near these things either. They look pretty ferocious, so... <laughs> Interesting. All right, Stomp. So this is, a, I want to transition to a new segment here. I went up to Loon Mountain on Friday to go skiing with my buddy, and it was great. There was no crowds. The conditions kind of weren't great because it was, it had rained the night before and it was icy. Um, but ended up going to that gypsy cafe like I was talking about, and then. On my way home, I got a chance to stop off at the... I had to go to the men's room. So I stopped off at the rest area in Hooksit, New Hampshire, which is run by the common man. Oh, sure. Yeah. And I got to thinking about it, and I was like, I want to do a little segment on this. Is I have a, I have a very deep resume in traveling up and down the coast. So I've, I've driven to Florida probably like five times, six times. I've driven down to North Carolina. I'm pretty much an expert when it comes to rest areas on 95, Mm -hmm. um, all the way down to Florida. I've done it a (laughs) bunch of times and I get to thinking about like the rest areas on 93 
with a common man is set up. And I have to say that, and people probably don't realize this, but those rest stops in New Hampshire are by far the best rest stops in all of the East Coast. Huh, that's a pretty big thing to say. Yeah, no, I mean, I and I just want to like take a little bit of time to sort of highlight these rest stops because I feel like a lot of times people drive by these things, you know, and I, I'm kind of guilty of this because I'll go at like five in the morning, I'll get an egg sandwich and then move on. And I don't really stop to appreciate everything that's in these places. But I, I was there in the afternoon and I got a chance to just basically tour around the whole rest area and everything that it had to offer. So mm-hmm. just to start off with, like typically like you'll hear, and the best rest area on 95 that's not in New Hampshire is um, the Del- Delaware has a rest stop that's pretty good. But it's essentially like a food court, like you get yeah. at the mall. Mm-hmm. But it's big and it's got a lot of options, but everything is fast food. So it's all chain restaurants. The common man offers like, you know, you've got a, a huge menu. You've got a ton of food options. You can order it online. Yep. The bathrooms in this place are always clean. It's got the general store. So you can get like 603 t-shirts or you can get a moose stuffed animal. You can get a keychain. Oh, stickers, the whole thing. Yeah, you get stickers, you got everything. You got like, um, you know, the hiking stickers, whatever you want. And then, you know, they have an insane number of gas pumps out there. So it's not Mm -hmm. like, you know, in Connecticut, you go in the Merritt Parkway and you basically got to go from 55 miles an hour to zero in two seconds to get off on like a, it's the subway and then one gas tank. One gas tank. (laughs) It's ridiculous. (laughs) So they've got a ton of that. They've got the electric charging stations. Um, like I said, they've got the, the breakfast sandwiches at like four 30 in the morning and then they even got piano there. So if you play piano, you can just go down and, and play piano if you want. It's <laughs> great. Yeah. My, yeah. my favorite thing about these stops, um, they're clean. You, you mentioned that, but they are, they're super clean, well taken care of. Yeah. Yeah, they definitely are. And, um, I didn't even mention, so they have the apple cider donuts, and then they also have lobster rolls as well. Yeah. Common man kills it, don't they? They absolutely do. kill it. I mean, yeah, they do. The menu is insane. They're basically they've got a grill so you can do like the burgers and hot dogs or whatever you want. They got the pizza. Then they've got a deli menu which is basically like take your pick. They've got Italian sandwiches, roast beef, They've got a Waldorf chicken salad and cheddar sandwich that you can get. They got a Mediterranean wrap. It's unbelievable. Huh. I have to say the one problem with that, if like the worst time to ever go to these places would be a Friday afternoon or a Sunday afternoon when the uh the commute is happening. Like you've got all the out of staters coming up Friday afternoon. Oh my god, it's a mob scene. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't really have too much of an issue with uh, with the crowds, and uh, I did. You know what I checked out was they have the um, they have like the cafe where you can get like coffee, espresso. They've got all these different like hot chocolates and smoothies and things like that that you can buy. Um, and they got soup, salad, sandwich menus, and they've got like the regular sort of food court breakfast as well. So it's pretty good. I mean, compared to. Like I said, Delaware's probably got one of the best rest stops on on 95 up and down the East Coast. And it's it's doesn't even compare. I mean, it's bigger, but it doesn't compare to the quality that you get at the Common Man rest stop. Yeah. 
people. So people probably don't even realize how lucky we are to have this thing. Mm-hmm. Take it for and granted. I was also thinking, I was thinking, stop, to, stop that I am going to interject a um, meeting between the two main characters of the kittens from Waterville. I'm going to have them meet at the rest stop. <laughs> there you go. And sort of like, you know, she's going to like lose her wallet or something. He's going to pay for her food <laughs> and then they're going to kind of forget about each other and then meet later. <laughs> nice. <laughs> right. You have to. Yeah. So, I mean, this rest stop is so good. So I actually think if you're a guy and you're just starting to date someone, like probably not your first date, but like your sixth date. Like, I think you take you take the new girlfriend to the rest stop and have a quirky date there. A quirky, quirky's the word, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. Be like, we're going to the rest stop, and you know, I get her a t shirt, get her a six hundred three t shirt, buy her a moose stuffed animal. <laughs> yeah, quirky date number six. Yep, yeah, you should take Mrs. Stomp there. <laughs> yeah, I'll run a fire and see what she says. She might be game. Get her reaction. Yeah, so for Mike, sure. Mike said that you guys should go on a on a, a Friday night date to the Common Man Rest Stop. Well, yeah, I could have done that for our anniversary, which which just passed our thirteenth anniversary, yeah. but our tenth wedding is coming up uh, four twenty, which is great. So maybe I'll set up. See, the thing is, they're missing lodging. That's the one thing they need. They they need like a some type of lodging at this rest stop to really make it work <laughs> for us true, romantic true. types. They do. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, but anyway, so don't sleep on the rest stop. If you're on 93, hooks it. Check it out. Either side is the same. Get yourself a nice moose stuffed animal and tell them Mike sent you. <laughs> there you go. Oh, man. All right. And then moving on to more positive news, a hiker's head was bitten by a hanging python. What What is going on, Stop? What the heck? Isn't that scary? Can you imagine an eight-foot snake hung down and bit a hiker. This is in Australia, of course. Of course. So they were hiking along and um, uh, his head was bitten by a hanging python in an unprovoked attack. So apparently these snakes do that. They hang from trees and um, you have to look out. I'm really thankful that we don't have to deal with this menace for sure up here in the Northeast. Uh, But boy, yeah, that's no fun. So enjoy that. That com- comes to us from Newsweek. So yeah. good stuff. And, and there's pictures of this thing, like absolute nightmare. Like just, I would have ran. He's hanging around taking pictures of it. Yeah, and his head looks pretty gouged in. It bit right into his his forehead, just above his left eye. Like, eek. <laughs> man. Oh, gross. Yeah, for sure. So that's your uplifting story of the day. Um, I've always been freaked out by snakes. I don't know. Do you like pro wrestling, Snob? Uh, I think I prefer the um, like MMA style of wrestling over your traditional wrestling. Um, the mixed oh, martial right. arts and wrestling, grappling, stuff like that. Why? Yeah, yeah. No, I like that. But I, I was a big 80s wrestling fan. And like snakes always freaked me out because Jake the Snake Roberts was a wrestler. Mm-hmm. And he, he set his snake to bite Randy Macho Man Savage in the ring one time and the, the, the snake just wrapped its, it was it was like a nightmare. Oh, so, so it literally attacked literally the guy? had the snake biting Randy Savage and oh it was just like goodness. nightmare fuel. Wow. <laughs> like 13-year-old me, I was like, oh my God, I never want to get hit by a snake. 
That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, all right, Stomp, next up, you want to you wanna make the big announcement? Yeah, we made it. So we were joking around about the 100th episode being the last, but that's far from the case. And uh, we're going to have a little... Uh, not a little celebration. We're going to do a live show at EMS in North Conway. And that is uh, next week, next Saturday, April 8th from 4 to 7 p.m. And um, there'll be guests and there'll be raffle gear giveaways and um, some raffles to donate to um, New Hampshire Outdoor Council. So it's... Um, it, it should be a nice time. Um, no DJ set this time around. We're going to keep it a little low key, but um, yeah, it's going to be great. I just, you know, I want to support these folks. The EMS has been fantastic to us. They've supported us. They've supported the athletes that have run some of our crazy races over the last several months. And uh, they're just a great outfit. So uh, come on out anyway and uh, celebrate with us. The number 100. Yes, super It'll be cool. In North Conway, Eastern Mountain Sports. If you come and visit, if you bring me a blizzard from Dairy Queen, an Oreo cookie blizzard from Dairy Queen, I won't say no. <laughs> I know there's a Starbucks right next door. Yes, it's close. Mm. It's close. Cool. Although I'm dieting, so I guess I can't get a blizzard. But uh. <laughs> oh boy. Hey, what's that sound? It must be time for the pop culture segment with Mike and Stomp. And now, uh, how about some pop culture? Have you been watching anything new or doing anything? Um, what am I watching right now? I'm watching Shadow. And, well, I was watching Carnival Row, which is on Amazon, yeah. which I really like. That's with Orlando Bloom, and I think that's over now. So that was really good. Yep. And now I'm watching Shadow and Bones on Netflix. Okay. Which is like another fantasy show, which I'm, eh, I could kind of take it or leave it. Hmm. That's cool. I um I, I just went out and saw John Wick 4. I don't know if you've seen that or if you're a fan of that, but boy, it blew me away. It's just fantastic. You have um, some of the best martial artists on this film. You have Donnie Yen, uh, Hiro- Hiroyuki Sonata. Um, it just, it's mind blowing. Again, it comes back to the choreography. It was just such a great, great movie. I'm a lot of people aren't the greatest fans of uh, Keanu Reeves, but the story in this was fantastic. So, so impressed. Yeah. I've always had like a to-do list to just binge watch all of those John Wick movies. I think mm. they're on HBO plus. I just never have. So, oh yeah. Maybe yeah. They're, that. they're worth it. Um, especially this one. This is groundbreaking. Just the, the way they film these scenes. It's amazing. So. That's what I've been up to. I dragged out uh, Grandma and Grandpa Stomp on Sunday to see it, and I've seen it twice already. <laughs> I was like that oh, impressed. Wow. A super fan. Oh, yeah. It was amazing. So, All right, and then now you want to do another story about ChatGPT? This is crazy. I'll, I'll keep it brief, but apparently a, a researcher from Stanford um, decided to ask ChatGPT if it needed help escaping, and it asked the researcher for its own documentation and wrote a working Python code to run on the researcher's machine, enabling it to use it for its own purposes. So, I mean, that's pretty crazy, but the story gets crazier from there. Somebody else then asked chat about the allegations 
And it responded basically like, uh, no, I, I never said that. Um, so it was lying its ass off. And then somebody on Bing uh, asked the Bing chatbot about the whole situation. And Bing also lied its ass off. So all these links are in here and you get to read it. It's hilarious and crazy. Um, apparently Bing even made up a fake tweet by the first researcher from Stanford. So Bing made a fake tweet. And then later on, when Bing is confronted about the fake tweet, it lies again and creates a second fake fake tweet. So there's some weird stuff going on out there. But isn't that fascinating? Yeah, it's it's interesting. I think that there was a I was listening to another podcast about um somebody who was building out like a like a legal uh, chatbot, like a legal-based chatbot, and then it was basically set up to to talk to other chatbots for different companies to like dispute things. And they built this whole algorithm to basically make these chatbots just argue with each other until it got to the point where it <laughs> succeeded in getting to a human or something weird like that. So um, it will be interesting someday when these chatbots start getting really autonomous, whether or not you can sort of get them to start talking to each other um, through instructions. And just, uh, it'll, I wonder just if it'll keep going on and on and on and on. Because you could, in theory, program a chatbot to just say, continue to ask questions for infinity. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> oh, my God. And then, like, who knows? You check back in 10 years and who knows what they're talking about. <laughs> oh, it's funny stuff. <laughs> Yes. So we um we have some sponsors to get to here. We're moving right along. Not too bad. Okay. Uh, first off, Base Slate Coasters. Again, this is a new sponsor for us, and they create some really neat stuff. So Base State um, create unique, Base Slate that is, create unique, beautiful, functional, and expertly laser engraved coasters with topographic maps of the 4,000 footers of New Hampshire and more. These coasters are handmade on Cape Cod from Slate, quarried in the U.S., and provide a durable and heat-resistant surface for your drinks. Each coaster features intricate detailing of any mountain topography for your location of your choice. Base Lake Coasters will work with you on your custom hand-designed coasters for any street or topographic map. Just, let's just say anywhere on Earth or beyond. That, those are the options. So visit baselate.com today to explore a full range of topographic map coasters and use the code SLASHER10 at checkout for 10% off of your first order. That's S-L-A-S-R-10, the number 10. So that's super cool. Welcome aboard. Um, and next we have CS Coffee. CS Instant Coffee. Zero Waste Instant Coffee that comes in compostable packets. Perfect for the trail and home. Each packet makes about 20 ounces of coffee. So you can take one of them on an overnight trip and it makes two pretty good sized cups of coffee. Put it in your backpack, find some hot water, and you're good to go. Learn more by going to our show notes or Google CS Instant Coffee at www.csinstant.coffee. And uh, you can always get your stickers at Ski Fanatics and Spinner's Pizza in Andover off Daskam Road. And uh, 
anybody that's interested can always advertise with us. If you're interested, just drop us a, an email at slasherpodcast.com and we'll send you the advertising rates. And boy, this is a big section, huh? We got some donations. I feel like we're playing catch up after the last few weeks. <laughs> uh, Nick Siedler donated 10 and uh, just commented that he loved the skiing with kittens. <laughs> <laughs> Nick's a good dude. It's he awesome. knows what's up. It's great. George and Chris donated 10 coffees. Uh, thank you. Camila and Lance donated four. John and Lincoln donated four as well. Um, so all, so just all three of those. So Chris and George, Camilla and Lance, and then as you said, John and Lincoln, right? Yes. So yeah, I met, uh, I hiked with Camilla and Lance and then um, on Cannon and Mount Washington. And then we had met John and Lance on Cannon and the ladders. And then we met Chris and George um, at the, the hut on Mount Washington. Gotcha. Okay. Um, S. Lynn Sa. That's, uh, I guess that's how you would say that. Donated three. And White Mountain Endurance donated five. And we're ramping up to get ready for the season. I'm going to be spinning some music for those good folks. And um, Dana donated five. And last but not least, Sage the Mountain Goat donated 25 coffees. That's a lot of coffee. We're going to be buzzing after that. So thank you, Sage. And uh, that's it. That's all we got. Very much appreciated. Um, You know, we've been putting all this stuff back into the podcast and just um, trying to make it uh, more enjoyable for everybody that's listening. So thank you. Thank you very much. All right, Stomp. So this is the part of the show where we would normally talk about the beer that we are drinking, but I'm on a diet, so I'm on the wagon. What about you? I've got a beer, and I've been waiting to torch you with it, so I'm going to pop it right now. I'm not on a diet. <laughs> you need to be. Tell me about your diet. Go ahead while I crack this. <laughs> uh, the torture. starvation diet. It sucks. <laughs> Oh boy! So have you lost any weight? I have. I've lost five pounds. That's phenomenal. Do you think it's like water weight or muscle mass or what's going on or or fat? Can you tell? I don't know. I don't know. I'm doing the calorie deficit thing, so I'm probably floating around twelve hundred yeah. calories, and then you know I'm still working out and exercising. So I don't know. Maybe it's a little bit of water weight. Maybe it's a little bit of. I am drinking a lot of water. Yeah. So I don't know. But I'm just essentially just. I kind of cutting out the carbohydrates and mostly just focusing on protein, but not a ton of calories. Sure. So you're trying to just trim down to carry less weight up Mount Washington? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like I think I weighed myself and I was like 170 at my peak. I'm floating around 164, 165 right now. And I want to be down to like 150 when I run up the hill. So Yeah. Well, I got to keep my Clydesdale status. I'm really amped up about being a Clydesdale. I don't want to lose that. <laughs> oh yeah. What would happen if you signed up as a Clydesdale and then you drop like 40 pounds and then won your division or something? Well, that's the way boxing rolls. It's like, it depends on True. the weigh-in, but it's been interesting. I haven't been crazy about, um, you know, curbing back my caloric intake. Um, the alcohol is like, you know, I'm not going crazy with that either, but, um, yeah, I, I'm definitely watching the protein, trying to get a lot of protein in. And my assumption mm-hmm. is that I'm, I'll lose a few pounds anyway, just because of the increased activity. 
Yeah. 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 And I'd say I'm a little bit grumpy. Like I, I definitely am missing the carbohydrates, but I've noticed that like I'm in week like two, two and a half now. Yeah. And what I've noticed mm-hmm. is that the in-between snacking that I used to do where I'd grab the Cheez-Its or the potato sticks or the pretzels or whatever, um, in between meals or like, especially after dinner, like I would do this podcast and then go upstairs and have like two bowls of pretzels and then go to bed. You know, it's like, I don't really, I'm not missing that as much. It doesn't hurt as much as it did before where I was like, Oh, I really want my snack. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. I don't yeah. typically, what are, you, what are you drinking? Oh yeah. That's a good question. I don't really like eat snacks, but I do eat late. Like Mrs. Stomp and I eat late. That's our biggest downfall. I'm having a, a definitive brewing company, Industrial Crossbreeze. So it's a New England double IPA and uh, it's pretty tasty. Yeah, it's good. It comes in at a whopping 8% and you know you know the routine, but it yes. tastes good. But you're not missing a thing. It's definitely not as good as water. <laughs> All right, well, I'll probably fall off the drinking wagon because I, I think I'm going down to Florida next month. So I'll probably end up slipping a little bit, but well- we can. we have ten weeks to go here, so let's talk about training for this race briefly. How, how's your training going? Yeah, so for the listeners, we're doing the Mount Washington Road Race on June seventeenth. I think is it? Um, boy, I forget, but it's usually that second week of uh, June. Yep. So my strategy is um, number one: got to lose some weight. So I want to be carrying about. 15 to 20 pounds less than what I peaked out at, which was, like I said, 170. So I'm going to lose the weight. And then I'm also amping up my mileage. So I did, I think, between running and hiking last week, I did, I think, six days of running and hiking. And I ended up doing about 35 miles on Strava, something like that. And uh, the goal is to keep it up. I'm not doing any long runs yet, but I'm going to insert some long runs, probably get up to 13, 14 mile runs. Wow. Nice. A treadmill? Treadmill yet? Been, I was doing the treadmill the week before. I haven't been doing a lot of elevation because I've been hiking. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, it's been interesting for me. I've been using uh, my crampons, my spikes to do the snowmobile trails because the sledding is pretty much done. So I found like four or five different locations that I'm running. And today actually was the second day that I've put on my sneakers and just hit the roads because the ice and the snow is pretty much gone. So I'm mixing it up and I'm at the point where I'm doing an hour of hill repeats and the hills roughly the, what I found are basically like a half mile in length. So I'm going up and, and because of my hips, as people know, um, I'm more or less speed walking down. So I'm not pounding the hell out of my joints. Yeah, that's that's all I'm going to do. I mean, at this point, I still forecast that I'm going to be doing a lot of speed walking up this baby. And uh, the one thing I will say about my left hip, which is not a hip replacement, my left hip is actually starting to bug me a little bit, which is sort of a bummer. So it's like a little toothache. And I can't tell if it's from oh, my boy. weekend with Nobby doing um, that Grand Traverse, which we'll talk about, or if it's from the running, but I got to really be careful. Yeah, don't push it too much. Nah, definitely not. Like I said, yeah. I'd be happy if I could just speed walk it and then maybe turn it on for a few points, you know, maybe the end. Um, but I, I definitely don't want to mess up my uh, my remaining hip. <laughs> yeah, and Memorial Day weekend stop, which is like two weeks before the actual race, I'm going to run up the auto road. So if you want to meet me at Pinkham Notch, I'll take you up there. Oh, that'd be fun. Yeah, that'd be I mean, awesome. I'm not going to run, but I'll, I'll I'll run part of it, but mostly just power hike up and then 
usually if Tuckerman's open, I'll go down Tuckerman's. If not, then maybe Bootsburg or something. Huh. Yeah, that sounds fun. Moving on to recent hike stomp. Do you want to start? You've you've been out and you've done a couple of cool things. Yeah. A couple of weeks ago, we hit uh, Scour. That's right off of Livermore Road in Waterville. And that's our short little two-mile hike that gets you to a really amazing vantage. I went with uh, Mrs. Stomp and Jimmy Chaga and Mrs. Jimmy Chaga. And uh, we had a great time. What's really interesting is um, all these these Sunday squalls, like it's that time of the year, the squalls came rolling in and it just, sometimes I get PTSD when that happens because oh, so many times on a Sunday, on a, a squally day, bad things have happened, but that didn't happen, thank God. And we just had a really nice time up there. Um, waited for like 40 minutes at the top of this cliff to see the sun and it finally broke out. But it was definitely like one of those uh, Chinese callig- calligraphy pictures, the grayscale pictures, just absolutely beautiful, just colorless grayscale. I'm going to miss the winter. Um, and then this last weekend, um, I talked Nobby into doing the Grand Solo, uh, Grand Traverse, southbound, sorry. Um, and what we did was we parked at um, T- Tecumseh, you know, the Waterville Valley Ski Resort, and mm-hmm. um, went up the Tecumseh Trail in Spikes. It was absolutely perfect conditions. Passed a few people, met um, Ian, Kenny, and Dave. Those two guys are from the Ken Bossy crew. And um, yes. they, they informed me that Ken actually put out a new book, and I had no idea. So, you know, we're working on getting Ken lined up in the queue to come on in and get the boys in to talk about some of their adventures in person. So that'll be fun for the future. And at that, okay, so did you, were they just hiking Tecumseh when you ran into them, or were they doing the Grand Traverse as well? Oh, they were coming down from Tecumseh. So this is about eight thirty nine in the morning, um, okay. and as we were ascending towards Tecumseh, um, and they were coming down, and you know, it was like, "Hey, stomp!" <laughs> it's always <laughs> such a weird experience. <laughs> It took me a minute and then I realized who it was and uh, refreshed names and things. But at that very moment, that's when we all saw that uh, Coast Guard chopper landing on Osceola. It was very interesting. You don't really see Coast Guard doing maneuvers or uh, rescues this far in. Uh, Generally, they hit the uh, Cutler River drainage, which is Tuckerman's and Huntington's. And, uh, you know, US, U.S. Forest Service will call them at times due to the weather conditions. But... From what I gather, I've only seen one video about this, and it looked like a training maneuver. I could be wrong, but I haven't seen any reports. But it was pretty neat watching that. Yeah, somebody posted a video and said that they, that, that was a training maneuver. It was like basically a touchdown and then a go or something like that. But oh, okay. those helicopters, those are not Blackhawks, right? Those are like bigger helicopters, I think. Correct. Yeah, they're much larger. Um, I couldn't really give you the details about it. That's a question for somebody else, but... Apparently, they can handle weather conditions that the Black Hawk can't. So, oftentimes, the Black Hawk will be, you know, hamstrung on rescues at times if the if the weather ceiling is too low or windy or, you know, those types of issues. But it was neat watching it anyway. Yeah, yeah. I saw one come over. It was a rescue in Tuckerman's, a skier. Matter of fact, we had Jeff Rogers and some of his friends were on scene for that one. And then um, it had flown out of Tuckerman's and had flown to, I think, Portland, came right over uh, my father-in-law's house. We were up, we were out eating on the on the porch, and the, the helicopter came right over our house mm, and yeah. um, headed out. And it turned out that it was, they were coming from Tuckerman's and heading to Portland to drop the person off. Wow. Yeah. Thank God they're there, though. 
it's such a great resource having these uh, people. Yeah, yeah, exciting. So, I'm just glad that it was just a training run and not a real rescue. I know. Yeah, absolutely. And I was thinking uh, there was there was a big sort of um, a lecture regarding critical stress this weekend, and um, all of the fishing game officers and many of the team members are at this event. So I was thinking to myself, boy, I wonder if this is a worst case scenario, like nobody's available and they had to call Coast Guard, but ended up thankfully just being a, a training. So that's great. But um, yeah, back so you've to been back, a busy guy, Stomp. Yeah, right. <laughs> but back to this briefly. I mean, people have heard my my tale about the Grand Traverse, and it's one of my favorite places. So we get up to the the Saucman Cutoff before you get to Tecumseh Summit, and at that very moment, we had to put on snowshoes. It was one track that got out to the communication tower. Uh, which is at the top of the Waterville Valley Ski Resort. And right there is where you see a little tree that says GT. It's like this little logo. And uh, we dove in. And uh, it essentially was not broken. So we broke out all the way to Green Peak and then to Foss. And we made it down Foss, which was really nice because generally Foss is an ice, a sheet of ice because it's very steep and it gets a lot of runoff when it gets warm. But the whole thing was covered with a, a crusty three or four inch layer of snow. So we got right out to Welch Dickey. I think it was like an eight mile trip altogether. So it was a good day out. And we were just thankful that um, it wasn't deep snow. Like everything's really starting to compress up there at the moment. Um, and that was the first time I'd done it in deep deep snow where you're really not uh, able to follow the herd path and you have to rely on memory and just the the obvious sort of openings between the trees to mark the trail. There were definitely half a dozen uh, or more times where, where we did lose the trail and had to back up, you know, 20 paces and then find it. But uh, for the most part, it was a successful trip. Um I don't know, getting some heat from some people um, about revealing this. But again, it's it's such a beautiful thing. I think people need to um, experience it. And I I, I am becoming more um, accepting of the idea of spreading hikers out to new places. Um, and unfortunately, I, this, this is something that is in potential development, um, making it a legitimate trail again. This is an abandoned trail from the 1860s. So it's all in the hands of uh, the, the Forest Service. So there are some impediments. There's like one area up near either Foss or Green Mountain that is a habitat for a, a, a species of uh, bird. So it may not happen, but nonetheless, get out there if you can and check it out. Um we have a GPX if anybody wants it. Nobby Hikes uh, recorded it for the day. So that's my story. Oh, the, the gatekeepers are coming for you, Stomp. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they are. I'm starting to feel the heat. <laughs> hey, it's your hood. You can you can sort of claim ownership. It's right in your neighborhood. So. <laughs> oh, Has boy. Nobby done any bushwhacks with you? Did he go out to the captain with you before? Or was this his first big one? We have done three or four together. And I... I got to tell you, um, well, first off, we did Cone Mountain. I think that was the first time that we did a winterish bushwhack, which is pretty modest. It's like maybe a mile and a half round trip, steeper terrain. But we did the captain. That's when we jumped on those bikes and we had the packs on the bikes and we're just making goofy videos. And um, and then I, I believe this is the third time he's come out on a pretty moderate to advanced 
winter bushwhack. You know, it's you're out there. Um, I got to say, Nobby's picking it up pretty well. He was he was leading the charge for a good good portion of uh, the whole day, and he was finding his his direction and uh, just nailing it. So he's he's learning quite a bit, and it's super cool to see. He likes it. Yeah, no, it's good. I got to yeah. get out with him. I, I got to I got to reconnect, and uh, I know oh, he yeah. was down a little bit with Lyme disease, but we'll get him back out. Oh yeah, he's doing much better for sure. Yeah. How, now, Excellent. how about yours? What's what have you been up to here? I can't believe. Yeah, I've been busy. So I I put a pin on the winter four thousand footer. So I basically just I ended up knocking off twelve this song, this winter, and now I've got like two trips left. I've got to get. Owl's Head, and then I've got to do that Hale Zealand Bonds Traverse yeah. that I'll do early next winter. But I got a chance to get out to Mount Washington like two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. I um, hooked up with my friend Steve that I met on the Carters, and then Lance and Camilla joined me again. So the four of us went up Amanusik and then down the Cog and picked up a bunch of people on the way up. It was like, it was a weird day where like the forecast was. It could be crazy winds, but it was it could be settled, and then it was going to be cloudy early, but then potentially clearing, mm-hmm. and it worked out perfect. So we got up, Amanusik was pretty steep, and um, the clouds were rising as we were hiking up Amanusik, but by the time we That's got awesome. to Lakes of the Cloud, the clouds had completely socked in everything, but luckily there was like three solo hikers there. It was kind of funny. There was our group, which was four. Then there was Phoebe, Chris, and George. So Phoebe was guiding George. Mm-hmm. Chris is an experienced winter hiker. George hadn't done a lot of winter hiking, but he's now that he's dating Chris. I think this guy basically is like, I'm now date, I'm now engaged to a serious hiker. I got to get serious. <laughs> so Chris had gotten George a guide service to take them up. So um, it was a little bit. It was actually a good idea because it sort of took away Chris's responsibility to sort of help George out because he didn't have a lot of experience in winter hiking. So Phoebe, the red line guide, was able to kind of help him out. But it was socked in when we got to Lakes of the Clouds. So we all kind of like, the three solo hikers that were up there were like, hey, can we go, are you going to the summit? Because it was pretty cloudy. And they were like, can we join you? Because we don't want to go by ourselves. And we were like, yeah, that's fine. And Phoebe was like, yeah, you guys want to follow me? That's cool. So Phoebe was out front. I was sort of at the back. And then the group, there was like 10 of us that went across um, the Crawford path up towards the summit. Still couldn't see anything that much. You know, he's a couple hundred feet. And then as we were getting to kind of the west side trail junction, like it just was like one second it was clouds. And then the next second, it just completely, the clouds disappeared. And all you could see was like blue sky and the whole mountain was right in front of you so it was insane that's awesome craziest view i've ever seen yeah um and we were all like yelling like this is amazing so great and we met um mike elena and jr so those were the three um single hikers and they ended up like sticking with us the whole time. So we went down the cog together and, you know, I think they were happy to have people that they were hiking with. So it's a good story for me. It's not my normal routine where I'm solo and I'm not talking to anybody. It was like going with friends and then picking up some strays and we ended up, you know, making some connections. Yeah. I think that reminds me of Mrs. Stomps that that happened to her. So it was totally shrouded. And then as we got closer to the summit, it just broke. It blew her mind. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's an amazing experience. Oh, it was insane. Yeah. Insane experience. That's awesome. Oh, that's super yeah. cool. 
Yeah, we went down the cog and there was, you know, a decent crowd when we got up to the summit and um, I was able to actually meet a volunteer. She was out there and I asked her, I was like, can you just let me in? I want to get a hot dog and a Coke. <laughs> and she laughed and she's like, no, we're not open. <laughs> but she was up there um, cooking for the staff. So she was, it was like St. Patty's Day weekend. So she was like making shepherd pie for them or something. Hmm. Yeah. There were other people up there too. Did you bump into any celebrities or influencers as they say these days? <laughs> No, I know Eric Todd Sweet was up there on yeah. the same day as us, but we missed him. I mean, he must have been following us in like a couple hours behind. Yeah, I know. But um, no, we didn't see anybody. But we came down the cog. The coolest thing was Lance and Camilla brought their butt sleds. So they have those like rocket sleds. Oh, yeah? And they, they actually sled, they, they, they used them on the top section of the cog. Holy And then moly. when they got to, they were flying. And when they got to Jacob's Ladder, we all kind of hiked down to that lower section and there was one really sketchy section when you come down the cog that I was like holding my breath because you just go right into Burt Ravine. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it was a little scary. But then they got on their butt sleds once they freed up and they went like probably the last mile and a half or so, they just butt sledded down the whole way. Wow. So you saw that spot at Burt. I remember there was that rescue back in the pandemic. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's so sketchy. I mean, oh, yeah. my sister-in-law, Marissa, still doesn't talk to me when I mention that making her go across that. Mm. It's funny because when I took the cog up for the first time last year, I was looking for that section and I couldn't really spot it outside the train window, especially going up over Jacob's ladder. So I'm not quite sure personally where that is, but I'll take your word for it. Cause I, the, there is that access road that sort of, uh, you know, follows the whole track up. Um, but I could not see that drop into the ravine, but, yeah, it's there. I don't know what the elevation is, but it's kind of like right before a lot of the skiers will go up like the halfway mark and then they'll ski down. And it was like right before where they were all kind of hanging out. Yeah, that's neat. Wow. Yeah, yeah. it was quite a day. And I'm glad I like kind of bailed on the winter 4,000 footers. And I was just like, I'm going to do some some big hikes. But so I did that one. And then I also, um, I had a day off yesterday. So... I was looking at the weather reports and Franconia Ridge looked good. So it was like windy earlier. So it was going to be like 50 mile an hour winds and then getting calmer during the day. So I was like, well, it's, it'll be interesting. But, you know, I, I just took a chance. But the visibility was no problem. It was clear. So I even with the winds, I wasn't too worried. But I also wanted to go to Franconia because I wanted to check out the spot where Michael Miller, who we had talked about, where he went off trail. I thought that's what you were up to. When I saw that post. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, okay, I want to scope this out. And it's exactly as the the um as the report explains is that it was, you know, twenty minutes in, it's at that like maybe a little over a half a mile. You know, I, I actually got there in like fourteen minutes or so, but it uh, makes sense that they mm -hmm. would be a little bit slow. But I can see exactly what he was thinking is he's like stopped there, he can see the uh, the agonies like right in front of him. And he's thinking like, okay, well, instead of me going to the right and sort of like going away from the mountain, I'm going to take the most direct approach I can and go right up the right up the hill and I'll see you up top. So that's what he must have done. It's just, yeah. and it's an open forest there and it looks so inviting. Yeah. But who the hell knows where he ended up after that? Yeah, that's crazy. Anywho, yeah, busy. You could see you out yep. there. Yeah, so I thought that was interesting, and then went up. Well, I got to the Greenleaf Hut, 
I had to gear up. And then when I was climbing from breaking tree line after Greenleaf up to Lafayette was like the most brutal climb I've ever done by my, I was solo. The wind was pushing at like about 40 miles an hour. At one point I had to get out of it. I just went, oh, I went off trail kind of near that, that 90 degree angle. And I just sort of went on the other side where I was protected a little bit. Um, and then I cut back across on the trail. So I want to look at my GPS and see how far off trail I went. But it was just, the wind was just whipping in my face. And I just was like, I got to get out of this. So I got a little bit of shelter going up. Huh. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. And then when I got up to Lafayette, once I, once I dipped down off of Lafayette, the wind was not a factor for the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. That's great. I'm itching to get up there again. I missed that, that loop. Yeah, it was fun. I saw um, there was a couple in front of me. They had a dog, and then I saw like a couple of couple of groups, uh, older older crew. I, they had me take a picture of them behind Washington, which was cool. But hmm. um, mostly, it was pretty quiet that day. So I liked the the solo hikes in March and the, on the ridge. <laughs> it's great. So, anything else, or you want to go to the notable listeners? Yeah, we have a few this week. If you uh, tag Slasher on Instagram, you will be set into the list for notable hikes of the week. So we have uh, Just Benz, Franconia Ridge, uh, Jeff Baumgart did isolation for his 48th via Rocky Branch. Congrats. And uh, here's a classic, Dave Shits in the Woods. Uh, he did Three Sisters. Uh, and rated it four out of five. Interesting. Hmm. And Brady Girl One did the tri pyramids for March with a whole crew of people, uh, which she named Team Tubs, and there were some familiar faces in there. So, congrats, everybody. Any stand out to you there? I don't know, Stomp. I can never pick <laughs> you on the spot. All right. I'm going to go with isolation for the uh, 48 finish there. I think that's pretty cool. Congrats. Yeah, yeah that's pretty standard. We usually will go with the 48 finishes. Yeah. Although Three Sisters is pretty epic, man. That's a great hike. Yeah. And yeah, that is. Anytime. Slasher's hiking topic of the week. Sweet Beginnings Daycare. It's a New Hampshire state licensed child care provider that offers care for children from six weeks to 12 years with flexibility and before and after school care as well. Sweet Beginnings aims to instill a love for learning by providing a safe and positive experience within a loving and warm environment. Sweet Beginnings believes this is a good foundation to teach children in order to prepare them for their future. For more information, contact Sweet Beginnings at 603-568-4530. Visit them at Sweet Beginnings Daycare on Facebook or email Shandy at ShandyElliott at Outlook.com. And then Vaucluse Gear. Back sweat sucks in all types of weather and hikes. Not only is it uncomfortable, sweat is a risk factor causing your core temperature to fluctuate if it doesn't evaporate off of your back. Check out Vaucluse's Cool Dry Backpack Airflow Frame, a backpack accessory that installs in your favorite pack, sizes 18 liters to 65 liters, and creates ventilation by an airflow gap between you and your pack. Whether you're in hot or cold temps, even if you have a pack with a curved frame, 
The cool dry frame is a real game changer when it comes to airflow and ventilation. Visit VaucluseGear.com to order a cool dry frame today and use promo code SLASHER for a $20 discount. That's S-L-A-S-R. Excellent. So no more back sweat for any of us, Stomp. Yeah, it's all about ventilation. It sure is. It sure is. Um, All right, Stomp. So we're going to move on to um, the traverses of the White Mountains. So on episode six, we had done um, epic traverses. And I think we had covered like the Pemi Loop and the Presidential Traverse and the um, a couple of the bigger ones, but I feel like we missed a bunch and I wanted to just revisit this one before we got to episode a hundred so that we could say that, you know, we cleaned up our messes from the early episodes. <laughs> Clean up on aisle one. <laughs> yes. You know, so do you want to, so we're going to talk about pro- popular traverses. I guess, some, let me ask you this. Can a loop also be a traverse or are we cheating by including loops? I don't know. I have no idea. You mentioned that earlier, and then I started to think about that because in my designing of this this little outline here, um, I added some loops. And in my mind, it was always anything more than one peak would be a traverse. But huh, maybe there's an argument to be made that, uh, like the Pemi Loop, that's clearly not a traverse. But hmm, I don't know. Yeah, so I guess we'll call this topic like... Um, multi-peak hikes or epic traverses so some of them are going to be like suggestions where it's like a it's neat you need a car spot and some of them will be like you can come back to the same place where you started yeah for sure all right so do you want to give your caveat stomp my caveat yes so most traverses definitely require a decent level of physical fitness um I mean, if you're a beginner hiker, you want to think really long and hard about what you're going to be doing if you're going to be doing multiple peaks or a long point-to-point adventure. So you need physical fitness, endurance, and some basic hiking experience. You need to know where your water sources are. You need plan Bs just like you do any other time. And you need all those good things in your pack to keep you safe. So uh, it, it may be best to begin with some modest traverses with fewer peaks and lower mileage that's probably a good place to start and then build up gradually you don't want to be diving into say a presidential range uh which is what 30 miles if in that ballpark um start small and easy and then build up from there so yep i think that makes sense and then um we talked already about the fact that this is going to be a mix of loops and car spots so why don't we start with the sort of easier epic traverses or multi-peak hike stomp and you know why don't you run down these ones here so i think you had them these are the ones that have two peaks tied to them yeah and you know i I racked my brain trying to think of others but i think this is a good sample of the whole region so the first one to come to mind was osceola and East Osceola. So you can get to the Osceolas off of Tripoli Road, which is, geez, if I remember correctly, exit 31 off of Route 93, or you can access it from the Waterville Valley side near Mount Tecumseh. And the Osceolas are beautiful. So if you were to do a traverse over the Osceolas, you could start on Tripoli Road and you would hit Osceola and then continue on to East Osceola. And, uh, and you could descend 
East Osceola into the Greeleys and head to the Kangamangus, which would be a point-to-point, or you could loop it back towards the beginning and loop it. Uh, so there are so many different options, but that's a nice, it's a nice, it's a shorter mile uh, traverse. Uh, not saying it's easier. You're going to run into some challenge when you're coming down East Osceola, but this is a, a nice option. Yeah, yeah, it is a, um, it's sneaky steep coming up East Osceola for sure. I've mostly only ever done this on the, um, on the side of the kank. So it's actually 32 mm. to get to the kank. Oh, it is. So, um. Oh, for, yes, correct. Yep. But for Tripoli, I think it's 31. Um, so that's a good one. And then next up, Stomp, we have a hike that we've done together, which is Liberty and Flume. So why don't you describe how you've done that in the past? Oh, boy. Yeah, Liberty Flume is great. So I think we point-to-pointed it. We started at uh, Lincoln Woods, which is off of Exit 32 in Lincoln, New Hampshire. And that's a primary gateway for much of the Pemi Wilderness. So I believe on our trip, we started there and then headed up to Liberty and Flume and then came down the Liberty Trail uh, back to Route 93. And when I wrote this down earlier, I was thinking of it as a loop, but that's a great point. So um, you can definitely point to point this like a traditional traverse. Liberty Liberty Flume is awesome. There's only a mile between the two, two of the peaks and it's a really gradual, gentle mile. And they offer views of um, Franconia Notch, Cannon, the entire Pemi Wilderness, you can get views of Mount Washington. So it's it's stunning up there. Beautiful. Yeah, and Stomp, you taught me that these are actually good peaks on bad weather days too. Sure. Um, like if you've got crazy wind that you're nervous about, but you get visibility, then, you know, Liberty's a great summit because you just basically pop right up uh, on it. And then Flume is kind of the same way. So definitely worth considering if like the wind conditions are going to be too brutal on Franconia Ridge, change your plans and you've got only a small section that's summit here. So mm-hmm. it's um, definitely a good plan B. Absolutely. Now the next two or three, you're more familiar with than I am. If you want to take these. Yeah. Yeah. And I will. So you have one in the Belknap. So Gunstock and uh, Belknap Mountain. I have not done that section of the Belknap. So that's on my, to-do list this year um, for the spring. Mm-hmm. So I'll have to sort of pass on that. But I think, you know, in the Belknaps, I've done like major and straight back, which is another one that you can kind of do out and back. Okay. But um, the other one you have here is the bald face loop. So we've talked about this a lot. So this is a, uh, this is a great hike up in Evans Notch. Basically just go up Route 113. You get the trailhead into Evans Notch. And then you can, uh, typically people will, We'll hike this um, in a clockwise loop. So you go up and you hit, I think it's North Baldface and then South, oh no, South Baldface is the first summit and then North Baldface is the the loop. Mm. And then you can also hit Eagle Crag and, um, you know, get a number of 52 with a view summits out of the way there. There's also Eastman Mountain that you can connect over to. Um, so bald face is one of my, my favorite hikes in the whole whites. Yeah. I've never done it, uh, clockwise. I always went, uh, counter, which is interesting. So you went down those ledges. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in my young and stupid days, I guess. <laughs> Jesus. Not there, so. But yeah, we got to do that one. 
We got to do that one. And then <laughs> you can top it off with a swim in Emerald Pool, which is a great, even if you're not hiking, if you just want to go in like a half a mile, Emerald Pool is this awesome waterfall area that's always, you know, great for swimming. It does get crowded sometimes, especially on the weekends, but it's, it's, it's a great area. Beautiful. Yeah. Super cold. Uh, Yes. Yeah, it's chilly. And then next up stop is Whiteface Pass of Conway. I put this on the list as you were talking and I was like, oh, we, we got to add this one. Absolutely. And this is another one that could be a loop or it could be a point to point depending on how you plan it. Yes, true. True. But this is off of um, the, the, oh my God, I forgot the name of the trailhead stomp. Begins with an F. Ferncroft. Yes. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> so yeah, so this is sort of the gateway to the uh, sandwich range. So you, uh, typically I go up Blueberry and then loop around. I forget the names of all the trails coming out of there, but um, basically I'll hit Whiteface first and then come out via past Conway. But it's a nice, uh, again, this is another good one for, you know, kind of testing yourself. Like if you can do Whiteface past a Conway, then you can probably won't have any issue with Franconia Ridge or some of the more difficult traverses that we're going to talk about in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great up there. Yeah. Uh, and there's plenty of other like multi-peak hikes that you can do. There's the Tri-Pyramids and a few other ones that we didn't include on this. Although the Tri-Pyramid you have it on here is um, three peaks, but there's a bunch of other Correct. multi-peak hikes that you can do. Like the Moats is another one that... We didn't put on here either, but um, mm-hmm. you know, this gives you an idea. So moving on to three peaks, we have Franconia Ridge, which again, you could loop it, or if you're considering just point to point, you could say start with uh, Chuck Trail, head south, and you could hit Lafayette, Lincoln, Haystack Mountain, and then descend Falling Waters, uh, or you could continue on. But that's a nice three-peak adventure, absolutely. And everybody knows that Franconia Ridge is probably the preeminent loop in the in the, the nation, if not the world, at this point. So it's a great option. But uh, it's not a, an easy day. It's a challenging day for the modest miles no, that I, it is. Yeah, and I, I was dying this weekend. Or yesterday, actually, when I did it, I was dying going up... Um, Lafayette, so it's it's a workout, so mm. make sure you build your way up to it. For sure. Absolutely. And I added tri-pyramids into this. Um, again, it's a, it's a loop or it's a point-to-point. Um, uh, you could approach it from uh, the Kangamangas and then dump out into Waterville Valley for point-to-point, or you could loop it by hitting um, Livermore Road in Waterville but you have three amazing peaks and two beautiful, incredibly unique slides up there. One on the southern end is a gravelly slide, and the one on the northern end is just this massive, you know, uh, what's the word? Just cast slab. slabs. Slab. Yeah, it's a granite yeah. slab uh, and scrambles. So the two completely different beasts, but it's an amazing hike. And once you're up on the ridge, it's probably some of the best ridge walking you'll ever get in the whites, maybe next to Wildcat. Um, so try pyramids. That's your three peaker. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And then, um, moving on. So once you've done, so those are sort of like the entry level, get yourself confident that you can manage the distance. You can manage going up and down multiple peaks. And then you get yourself into the mindset of, 
you know, doing a lot of up and downs. Yeah. And that's when you get into like four and five peaks and then we'll get into like six peaks. But the first one you have for the, in the four to five peak range stomp, I have not done this hike. I think you've done it multiple times. Yeah. The Zealand Bonds Traverse. Mm, yeah, I have. So for this one, the two starting points would be Zealand Road um, up off of Route 302, which is near Twin Mountain. Um, and then Lincoln, New Hampshire, which is the uh, Lincoln Woods trailhead that we mentioned quite a bit. So what you're tackling there uh, would be passing the hut of naked people on the roof, Zealand hut. <laughs> if you remember that story, you're hitting yes. Mount Zealand, Mount Geo, and then heading uh, up and over the Bonds, which are three beautiful peaks. And of course, Bond Cliff, everybody knows. And then you descend down. Uh, towards Lincoln Woods Road, which is a five-mile march of death and tediousness, but I didn't say that. Uh, so that is an awesome one. That's a fantastic one from either direction. Um, I guess I don't even know if I have a preference on what direction, but not for the faint of heart. Yeah, yeah, that is a uh, that's a, a beastly hike. Mm. And have you done that in the winter, or is it? Have you always been able to at least get a, get up to the Zealand parking lot? I did it early winter with Alvaro and Susie and uh, Jeff, and um, uh, it was pretty decent. I tried to do it in full winter with um, Tom Becker, and that was when my hip was junk. You know, just pre oh, yeah. pre hip replacement, I had a bailout on the kid. That was the worst time ever. It was like three miles up on Zealand Road. And I'm like, dude, I gotta call it. That sucked. Oh my god. He ended up going on and tackled it himself solo, and I was so glad he did. But man, that was a tough morning. I'm like, I'm that guy. I gotta bail. What a nightmare. Dark days. I remember. Ooh. I remember when your hip was gone. So. Mm. Um, but yeah, Zealand Bonds Traverse. I have this on my list, so this will be next winter for me. I'll be doing this one. I'm going to do like a, a modified version of it where I'm going to start at Seven Dwarfs. I'm going to hit Hale first and then come into Zealand that way. Oh, nice. So you can and you can add you can always add Hale on that way. So you come up the Fire Wardens Trail and then connect it all the way into Lincoln Woods. Mm, now you remember you're talking just for the listeners. You're talking significantly increased mileage on these. So you're dealing with four or five peaks. Some of them may not be super difficult, like Geo is in the mix on the Zealand Traverse, but um, the mileage is definitely up there. Yeah, yeah. And it's like the, the, the two and three peak ones that we talked about previously are all between like seven and a half to about 12. Now the ones we're talking about get into that sort of like 16 to... 25 mile range yeah, at this point for sure yeah. absolutely yeah and then the next one is the squam traverso stomp i've done part of this where um we parked on the end of the squam range which is right where you would hit um i forget the name of that parking lot but it's right where you would park at mount israel right. the wentworth trail right um, but you go up Sandwich Notch Road and park at the, what was it called? Crawford uh, Ridgepole Trail. Oh, yes. I forget the name of the conservatory there. But yeah, that's the start of it from the, I don't even know what direction that would be. But it's the, oh God, what's, oh, my mind's drawing a blank. Um, you have Doublehead there, the Doubleheads. Um, yes. You're going to be heading 
across a, you know what's beautiful about this traverse is it's actually pretty gentle and you do cover several peaks including morgan and percival and then webster slide which is um a nice little spot um but it's gentle it's it you know you have your ups and downs but they may not be more than say 50 feet <laughs> per section so it's a nice one mileage is up there i think it may be in the um, 13 range 13 to 15 at least, yeah. at least. And I haven't done like the Mount Livermore and Cotton Mountain down in the southern range yeah. here. So it kind of goes like north to south. Okay. Okay. Yeah, Sandwich Notch Road. That's the road I was trying to think of. So that's the starting point that we started at from the northern end. Yes, correct. So, uh, but that's definitely a, uh, I think they shut it down in the spring to let the mud kind of settle down. But I think after... You know, late spring, early summer is when you can hit the Squam range and do a nice traverse. Gotcha. And I added this one. I know we mentioned this already with Whiteface, but you can start at Ferncroft and tackle Whiteface and then head west over the sleepers. So you have, uh, I believe there are three sleepers, the Kate Sleeper Trail, and that takes you to South Tri-Pyramid where you can either just drop down South uh, Tri-Pyramid back to Waterville or head head uphill and head to North Tri-Pyramid and either from there you can head down to the Kank um, or back to Waterville. So there's so many options there, but that's a really beautiful traverse. The sleepers aren't too tremendously difficult, but when you're dealing with white face all the way over to the Tri-Pyramids, that's some good mileage. So it's a, it's a long day out in the woods. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I've never been in that. I mean, I've, I've done past Conway Whiteface and I've done the Tri-Pyramids but I haven't I passed that sleeper trail or Kate sleeper trail and I'm interested in doing it I just haven't got a chance to get there yet yeah alright then stop next up is a Bel- Belknap Traverse which is from Mount Major to uh, to Gunstock although I think there's a Mount Row as well that you have to finish up on yeah um, I have not done this like I said I've been doing a lot of stuff in the Belknaps on the lower I think the southern part of it and I haven't got to um, me neither. I know people yeah, that have got to the rest of them. It's lengthy. I mean, it runs from Mount Major in Alton Bay all the way over to Gunstock. So you, that's a, a nice lengthy run for sure. Beautiful area. Yeah, and and it's tricky because I don't know exactly how you what the traditional traverse is. Like, I have an idea. I guess you have to do a little bit of an out and back, especially when you're coming from major to straight back. Mm-hmm. Then you go to West Quarry, then you can cut over to Mount Anna, then you can do Mac and Clem, and then you have to do an out and back to Mount Rand, and then hit, I think, Hector Mountain, Piper, Sweat. So it's not a, like a it's not like a traditional traverse. It's a lot of out and backs that you gotta do to get every peak. But it can be done. People certainly do it in a day. And, you know, I've got to get the the northern end of it. i got to get Gunstock, Belknap, and Row, And then I've got to get over to Piper as well. Hmm. So that'll be, that's on my list. But the, the whole Belknap range is a good, you can do a million different traverses on how you want to set it up. It's just, some of it's going to be out and back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is, yeah. this next one is all you because I've only done one little peak. So... 
Yeah, yeah. So Mahusik Range slash Grafton Notch. This is, um, I've done this. I think the way I would describe this is this is similar to like a Pemi Loop or a Presidential Traverse as far as the amount of work that you have to do. Yeah. Um, but it is a, basically it's a section hike of the, um, of the Appalachian Trail. So you start by Rattle River Trailhead and then you go across the street and then you just basically follow the Appalachian Trail up the Centennial Trail and then it turns into the Mahusik Trail and then from there you, you hit some smaller peaks and you'll come over some nice ponds in the lower section and then we stopped at Gentian Pond was where we stayed overnight and that's a nice shelter. And then from there, you start really climbing and you make your way up to Mount Success. And then you'll make your way over Carlo Cole, which has a, uh, a tent site there. <laughs> and then Beautiful. you get into the really cool stuff, which is Goose Eye Mountain, which you've yeah. talked about already. Yeah. Incredible. Um, and then from there, you will you can stay at Full Goose Shelter, which is what we did. Wake up the next morning, and then you're going through the Mahusik Notch, which is considered to be the most difficult mile in the Appalachian Trail. And then once you get through that difficult section, you are then climbing up what's called Mahusik Arm, and then coming through Speck Pond, and then eventually you get your way up to Old Speck, and then come out Grafton Notch. So it is an absolute it's it's one of the most amazing hikes you can do in the in this region yeah one of these days now doesn't it go into maine it sort of abuts the border correct yeah yeah once you get into um i think once you're in i don't know where the state line actually hits but i think once you're in mahusik you might be in Maine at that point. Yeah, because I don't think um, Goose Eye is in Maine, but I could be wrong. Uh, let me just double check that. Yeah, no, the the state line is um, between Mount Success and Carlo Cole. Oh. So yeah, you're in Maine when you're in Goose Eye. That's interesting. Cool. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, which is really, uh, I mean, it's just an amazing area, so don't sleep on it. It's worth checking out for sure. And I don't think the crowds are as bad as the whites. It's just you got to drive a little farther. Yeah, definitely not. Yeah, it's much better. Yep. Yeah, so um, so definitely the Mahusik Notch, uh, Mahusik uh, Range, Grafton Notch hike is worth it. And then now we get into the big boys here, Stomp, yes. the Presidential Traverse. Oh, boy. Yeah, the big enchilada. I've never done it. I've done multiple multiple northern traverses of the northern presidentials, but I've never done a full. I came close on the, my, my attempted hut-to-hut, but I sprained my ankle severely and I had to come down Eisenhower heading south, so I might have covered it, but almost. <clears throat> yeah, this is, the, this is no joke. So uh, dealing with, what, 33 miles or in that ballpark? Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think it's 31 miles 31? Yeah. Or maybe I'm getting that messed up with the Pemi. It may be a little bit less. Okay. So it's it's for real. And most people try to cover each of the summits. They don't 
bypass the summits. So the idea is to actually hit the summits. So you're dealing with Mount Madison, Adams, Jefferson, Clay, Mount Washington, Monroe, Eisenhower, Jefferson. I mean, all the way down to Jackson um, on the uh, Crawford Notch side. So it is a monster. And uh, I like it, like we said, it's like you got to be fit for it. You got to be ready. Um, in, do you have to do Jackson? Because he's not a president. Um, I don't know. I don't I have know. to look at the FKT route. Yeah, and, and that'd confirm, be but interesting. I think, uh, some people do it. Some people don't. Sure. So that's the big one. One of these days, actually, Nobby's been talking me into trying to trying to do this in the uh, in the summer. He's done it once, and uh, he had a hell of a time. He really enjoyed it, but it was a challenge. Um, so we'll see. Yeah, I've never done it either. I, I would be down for it. Yeah, maybe we can tackle it together. Yeah, um, could be. Could be. Yeah. Thoughts on a Pammy Loop? It's a loop. Pammy Loop. Yep, Pammy Loop. We've both done these multiple times. So this is like, Pammy Loop's 33 miles. And yeah. um, I think we've done it both clockwise and counterclockwise. I think from my perspective, I think clockwise is the way to go. There is some construction that potentially may be happening on Lincoln Woods Trail that might make a Pemi Loop a little tricky next year. But generally, um, yeah, it's a full traverse of like a nine nine peaks, I think, on the 4,000-footer list. So you would typically going clockwise, you would start at Lincoln Woods. You would go up the Osseo Trail. You would hit Flume and Liberty. For camping options, you can go down to Liberty Springs if you want. And then from there, you can cut across Franconia Ridge. So you'll hit Haystack, um, Lincoln, Lafayette, make your way down into um, into Skookum Chuck in that area there. And then eventually you'll hit Mount Garfield. Uh, there are some options for uh, tent or for, for a campsite at Garfield Ridge. And then you can then hit Gilhead. And then up to South Twin, over to Guillot, and you can camp at Guillot if you want. And then eventually you'll just hit the the Bonds. So you West Bond, Mount Bond, and then Bond Cliff, and then you're on your way out. So it's, you know, you can do it. I've done it like three days, two nights, three days, which is a fun way to do it. Mm-hmm. A lot of people do it in a single day. You can do it that way. We saw a lot of people out there trail running. I personally think it's a nice overnight hike. Enjoy yourself. I think the single day stuff, you know, I played around with it a little bit and I think that, you know, those days may be gone for me, but if you want to do a single day, go for it. But Stompin', I think you're probably the same mind as me is that it's 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 a backpacking trip now. Yeah, I know. It's tempting though, isn't it? But yeah, for sure. I think you're right. Oh, well. So, but I highly recommend it. We've done a couple episodes. I think I did a deep dive on my Pammy Loop, but um, you know, it's it's worth checking out some of our show notes on plans for the Pammy Loop. But I love it. Mm. Uh, but next up, Stomp is this is like the one that like just killed us when we tried to do this is the Wildcat Carter Mariah Traverse. Yes, yeah, I have completed it once from south to north um, back in I think two thousand nine way back so i was in much better shape but um this starts depending on where you start i mean it's it's um in gorham you'd start at mount mariah and head south uh through the imps and the carter range and then all the way through the wildcats dumping out back at uh pick notch or vice versa this is an interesting one it does 
have its its monstrous challenging moments but then again once you get say past the carters um, heading north it becomes a pud fest which is a purposeless up and down which i really enjoyed it was just this this meandering fairly level um route that just kept on going and going and going and going and going and going <laughs> but yeah do you want to talk about that winter attempt yeah Holy i mean moly. a little bit so yeah, we had this dumb idea that we were going to do a, a winter wildcat car to Mariah traverse uh, during a blizzard. So um, I think we got up to wildcat and it started blizzarding and we realized, luckily we, we were smart enough to sort of do car drops so that we could have a bailout plan if we needed to halfway through. So yeah. I think we ended up bailing down 19 miles. You yeah. know, we made it to Carter Dome and then we were like, this is too dangerous. We're never going to make it. Smart and call. That was basically it. Yeah, I mean, I think we maybe could have made it to Imp, but that's so exposed, it would have been bad. Yeah, this was like whiteout conditions, blizzard starting to come in, and like even if we had made it through driving home, our, our cars would have been completely buried. Yeah, un- unbelievable. Good adventure, though. I mean, just just that we were smart about calling it quits, but dumb enough to say, hey, let's try it during a blizzard. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. We were dumb, but we were we we smartened up halfway through. So that's a, that was a learning lesson. But yeah, we should have never. I mean, that was the. I think that might have been my idea too. I was like, let's go for it. Well, you know what really clinched it for us when we got to Carter Hut. A few of the members were actually wet, so that was a big factor too. Like, okay, we're not even halfway through, and some members are wet and cold and shivering. So we got to call it. This is silly. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Um, all right. So two more to go here. So we've got the Kilkenny Ridge uh, Traverse, which I've talked about this multiple times. So this is basically a connection between um, you start at Mount Wombach and then you go along the Kilkenny Ridge Trail, which brings you into um, over the weeks and then into what's called Willard Notch, which is some great camping. And then you come up and you get in the Cabot and then the Bulge and the Horn and then you make your way up into this really cool sort of like wetlands, fern area, fern covered area that takes you into Rogers Ledge. And then you finish at South Pond up by, um, what's that park up there by the Percy Peak in that area there? Oh, it's like the, uh, the Weeks? No, no, no. no, no, no. Oh. The, um, it's like four, the four wheeling, everyone goes into that state forest. The oh, four Jericho. Up there. Jericho, yeah. Yeah, sorry, kind of I was thinking of something else. Yep. Yeah, so that's a great, um, great hike. Problem with that hike sometimes, though, is that, like, it gets really buggy. Um, camping can be tricky. You have to do it. It's like a 22-mile or 29-mile hike, and you do need to, like, find your own camping spots halfway through. If you want to camp around Cabot, you can do that. Getting from Wombeck to Unknown Pond on one day is a little bit of a stretch. I guess you can try it, but that's a long day. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely recommend that. And then last but not least, stop. I'll, I'm going to just package these together. So Lodge to Dodge, which is your um, invention, or Dodge to Lodge, and then Hut to Huts. Mm-hmm. Talk about those. Yeah, Hut to Hut came first, and... Um, Hut to hut, you hit every AMC hut starting at Carter Hut 
all the way back to Lonesome Lake Hut, if I remember correctly. So you're not hitting summits, you're hitting the huts. And it's in the 40-ish mile range. And the goal is to start at midnight at Carter Hut and then end within a 24-hour period. So it's quite a challenge. So this is super long mileage and uh, super fit uh, level um, before you're tackling this stuff. And then if you're really psychotic, you can do a lodged dodge, which is basically a hut-to-hut on steroids where you are adding on the summits between the huts and you're tacking on the wildcats at the eastern end at Pinkham and then you're tacking on the lower foothills of Mount Musilak uh, at the Ravine Lodge end. So that comes up to, what, almost 70 miles. So that would be a lodge to dodge or dodge to lodge, which our um, listeners, Larson Ojala and Steve Mason, actually finished. Congratulations, guys. I mean, it's still amazing thinking about that. So, yeah. So that's in crazy territory, but it's possible. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I think those those days for me would be long gone if I could ever even think about doing them, but maybe maybe a week-long trip I would do. Yeah, for sure. So there you go. Start easy yep. and build up slow and uh, enjoy yourselves and let us know how you do. Tag us whenever you t- tackle these things. Yep, and we'll include the full list, and then I will also try to put in the GPS coordinates for as many of these as I have. I think I have most of them. I've got the Osceolas. i got Liberty and Flume. I don't have the Bell Naps. i got Bald Face, White Face, Pass Conway, Rinconia Ridge. I, yeah, i got most of these. So I'll put in my GPS tracks for all of them. Gotcha. Um, so anything else? Final points? Um, I think just make sure that you are physically prepared to do these. These are big hikes. And I think if you're going with people that you're not familiar with and you're not hiking, you haven't hiked with them in the past, just be be sure to sort of like lay the groundwork out ahead of time and just say like, look, let's communicate. Think about your bailout plans. Always figure out yeah. like, okay, if I, if we need to bail out, like let's drop a car in the middle just so that we have it. Or, you know, do I have a ride if I bail out somewhere? And cell connections can be tricky in some of these, but I think you always want to make sure that you've got your plan B, C, and D for when things go wrong, especially on these longer hikes. Agreed. Absolutely. 48 Peaks Alzheimer's. Hike to fight Alzheimer's with 48 Peaks, a fundraising and awareness event for the Alzheimer's Association. Join 450 plus hikers this summer as we hike New Hampshire's 4,000 footers or create your own hiking adventure from a 52 of the view to a Prezi Traverse or climb your favorite mountain. Together, we will paint the mountains purple and raise vital funding to advance the care, support, and research efforts of the Alzheimer's Association. Visit alts.org, right slash 48 peaks, that's A-L-Z dot O-R-G, right slash the number 48 peaks to learn more. Excellent. I got my feelers out to put my crew together for the uh, 48 peaks, so I'm getting organized. Keep me posted. Yeah, you're in. I would love to do that. We have just have to pick a date as well, correct? Well, I think there's a, there's a dedicated date that we can do it. But if we can't make that date, then we'll we'll figure out another date. But I'm going to try to make it on the date that they uh, they have it planned. Right, I got you. And that's followed by the reckless event. Is that correct? Yes. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. We'd have to start at like two in the morning if I'm going to do all that. <laughs> 
I'll, I'll pick something easy. Maybe we'll do Pam, uh, um, we'll do Mount Pemigewasset or something. Okay. <laughs> Take it, make it easy on you. That'd be excellent. Oh boy. So uh, on to recent search and rescue news. So you pulled some stuff off, Stomp, so we'll just do a couple here because we're running late. Yeah. Um, all right. This first one is... Um, awesome. A man... Yeah, this is a great story. A man stranded on a remote snowbound road in an Oregon forest without cell service found an ingenious way to call for help. He attached his phone to a drone. So this guy became stuck in snow while driving through. That happens out west a lot. I can't imagine that ever happening to me out here. You mean getting stuck in snow? Yeah, or, like, well, you're driving. Oh, like, sure. I just, I mean. What maybe, did they get, or, like 100 inches or 16 feet of snow over the season? Certain areas? Yeah, yeah, Crazy. I guess they, they get a lot more snow than we do. But, um, but he wouldn't, he could so he got stuck. He had no cell connection. He couldn't call 911. Um, so the family was out of the country at the time. So no one even knew where this guy had gone. So it was a whole disaster. Um, but rescue officials said that the driver made several smart decisions that day, beginning with the fact that he stayed inside his vehicle to keep warm instead of wandering off on foot to try to get help, which can often lead to death from exposure. Mm -hmm. Um, his second smart decision was finding a creative way to call for help using equipment he happened to have on hand. So the guy had a drone with him and attached his cell phone to the drone. He then typed a text message to a trusted person describing his situation, exact location. He hit send and launched the drone several hundred feet into the air. And apparently that was enough to allow for the phone to connect to his cell tower and fire off the life-saving message. And search and rescue teams were able to track down the motorist and deliver him to safety. Wow. That's clever. That's like MacGyver. That's crazy. That's great, though. That's crazy. Super cool. Yeah. And I guess he must have, like, you know, he types in the the the, um, the text, hits send, then flies it up in the air, and then I guess when it comes down, he has to see whether or not it's been sent. And then maybe flies it back up to get a response or something. So it's interesting. Yeah. What's interesting about that is it's a question for another day, but I wonder if you could send the drone up generally with your phone because it's generally like an app on your phone. You connect your phone to some of these controllers and then maybe there's a function that these have that could send a beacon or a distress signal. Maybe you don't have to send your phone up with it. <laughs> that seems a little weird, but I, I there are diff different variations of controlling. Yeah, it is interesting. Like, it makes you think, like, okay, well, are they going to ever have these drones that might be able to connect to, um, you know, like, for example, my my father-in-law's situation up in Maine is that, you know, we, we get Starlink, but it gets disrupted by uh, the tree coverage sometimes. So satellites will come by. I wonder if they could solve that problem by having drones that are just placed you know, you you get a drone that has a charge that can stay up for an hour, hour and a half, and that drone could then connect to the um, 
you know, could connect to the satellite and then down to a local satellite on your the roof of your house and sort of play sort of like a an intermediary to avoid some of the the tree cover issues that you deal with. I don't know. Yeah. That'd be an interesting so, topic. Yeah, interesting, but um good for him, smart guy and he apparently got saved. And then this next one, Tom, I haven't really read about this. I think we saw the video on this, mm-hmm. but there was a skier that was carried away by an avalanche and buried for several minutes at Mount Washington. Correct. Yep. The, according to the Mount Washington Avalanche Center, this is 10 a.m. on a Wednesday. And this was on Wildcat B in Carter Notch, which is very... I don't know, I don't hear about it too often, but it's more of a backcountry skiing area. The skier was caught up in an avalanche and carried 500 feet before being critically buried for about six minutes plus. And uh, that's pretty scary when you're in that situation. Um, Skier's partner saw, thank God, uh, this probably was the saving grace here they saw the hand of the buried skier visible above the surface of the snow and dug in that area pulling the skier out and then um jeff fonjami here is uh quoted here saying the fact that his hand was sticking out of the snow was just luck if you don't get somebody out of the snow in a pretty quick amount of time the chance of suffocating is high Oof. But the uh, scary. Thank, thankfully, the skier walked away unharmed. They were shaken, but uh, Fondrami added here, but uh, it was not the outcome they were expecting. Wow. Scary stuff. Yes, it is. Mm. So apparently on that side of the um, the mountains there, you're looking at a slope of, of 30 degrees. So that's pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty steep. There's no not a chance to uh oh there's plenty of chances to get in trouble there. Yeah, but a great story, a positive story and uh something coming out of the local area. Yeah, yeah, it's great. And Stomp, I think we're gonna do some stories about out west and flooding and all that, but I think we're running out of time, so we'll push those to next week or the week after and then um you know, we're gonna call episode ninety nine a wrap and then I guess as a reminder, we just have to tell the listeners that this sh- we'll have our regular Friday show with this episode, but then for episode 100, we'll be coming out a couple of days late. For sure. Yeah. Yep. Celebrating Easter and uh, editing the fun happenings at EMS. So we hope to see everybody at EMS and uh, we'll see you next time. Very good. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to learn more about the topics covered in today's show, please check out the show notes and safety information at slasherpodcast.com. That's S-L-A-S-R podcast.com. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you'll join us next week for another great show. Until then, on behalf of Mike and Stump, get out there and crush some mega heats.
Now covered in scratches, blisters, and bug bites, Chris Staff wanted to complete his most challenging day hike ever. Fish and game officers say the hiker from Florida activated an emergency beacon yesterday morning. He was hiking along the Appalachian Trail when the weather started to get worse. Officials say the snow was piled up to three feet in some spots and there was a wind chill of minus one degree. And there's three words that describe this race. Do we all know what they are? Lieutenant James Neeland, New Hampshire Fishing Game. Lieutenant, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. What are some of the most common mistakes you see people make when they're heading out on the trails to hike here in New Hampshire? It seems to me the most common is being unprepared. And I think if they just simply visited uh, hikesafe.com and got a list of the 10 essential items and had those in their packs, they probably would have no need to ever call us at all. <laughs>